full of jokes. Is Miss Emma here? She's gone. Miss Emma told me a couple of jokes this morning. And she wanted me to use them in my sermon. Daddy, will you tell them? <laughs> so, here we go. Amen? Amen? Father, in the name of Jesus, bless the word and bless the jokes. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The word is not a joke, and a joke is not the word. What do you call a bull that's taken a nap? A bulldozer. See? Thank you, Miss Emma. She was right on cue with that, had every word right, had every phrase and all of that correct. It was just wonderful. Amen? What, um, what was the other one, Connie? Oh, my heavens. I had it in my mind a moment ago. Oh, what did the lion say? When he ate a clown. Hmm, that tastes funny. <laughs> so, you be sure and tell Miss Emma that her daddy, oh, daddy, would you, would you, daddy? Followed up on his promise to his little girl. Amen. Amen. I want to talk with you this morning about the subject of commitment. I understand human behavior, human nature enough to know that when hard times come, you and I are faced with decisions. Do we continue? Do we go left, right? What, what is it that we do? And I understand that looking at society as we see it as a whole, that there is a gross lack of commitment. And eventually, our lack of commitment whether it be to one another or whatever it is, is going to show up in our relationship with God. We are, folks, what we do. Now, we may believe we're something else, but in reality, we really are what we do. An ape swings from a tree and eats bananas and picks things off of him and all of those things, and we identify him as an ape because of the things that he does. Christians, men and women, human beings, we are what we do. And in society, I see a very gross amount of commitment, a small amount of commitment. And it's evolving, it's, it's taking steam, it's taking over. You can see it in all areas of your life, and there are Three examples that I want to give you about commitment, and hopefully we'll gain a better understanding of that. One of them is found in the book of Genesis. The 12th chapter, and it is simply the call of Abraham. God calling Abraham out. Once we get through these portions of scripture then I hope to be able to speak with you about how you might be able to gauge, judge your commitment toward God based on the principle of God's word. 
But first, I want us to get an understanding of what real commitment is and what it costs other people. Folks, don't you know that people came before us? The Word of God says we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses witnessing to what he has done, and I personally believe witnessing what we're doing as a source of encouragement. I often turn to them, that cloud of witnesses, whether it may be someone who's gone on before that I knew personally, or whether it may be someone that I've read about in the Word of God, that I take the Word of God as more than just a fairy tale. It's more to me than just a story. It's more to me than just picking up a book out of the library and just reading it about someone else's account, whether it be fictional or truth. It's more to me than that, the Word of God. It is an example to me as to how men and women were able to make it through struggles in their own lives. It's full of that. So when I am struggling, even struggling with my personal commitment toward God, I simply turn to the Word of God. I look in the Word of God. I see men and women who committed themselves to the Word of God, saw what they went through and how that they were able to maintain their commitment to God, what went on in their lives. It's here for us. And the call of Abraham, I'm not going to read much of it, but the call of Abraham is just that case. When I read this, and I understand that Abraham took with him some of the people that they had gathered that joined with them. I understand that the things that Abraham had, had accumulated, that they gathered those things up, and he took um, his nephew, and he took his wife, and he took a few family members. But ultimately, Abraham, based on what God had spoken to him, was willing to get up out of where he was. This, where they were dwelling, wasn't the land, wasn't the place that God intended for them to go, to be, to stay. It wasn't the promised land. They had started out toward the promised land, but something had happened with father, with family. They settled in another place. You can see that in the previous chapter and reading it. And they settled there, and then God steps in, and he says, this isn't it, Abraham or Abram. I want you to get up out of this place. I want you to gather your things, and I'm going to take you to a land that I will show you, a land that's yours, a land that's been promised to you. How is it that a man will make such a step? Our commitment, whatever we're committed to, is only as good as how we see it valuable. For instance, my job, the business that I've been working at for, oh, I don't know, 40 years or more now. I've been committed to that business, to that line of work, because it gives me a source of income that sustains my family. And I'm committed to it. I know that if I get up and I go and I do this job or that job or the other job, once I'm finished, I'll get paid. And with that money, my family will be able to be sustained. So I commit myself to that business. And in hard times and in good times, for some reason, I've known in my heart of hearts that that business was going to come through and supply for me everything that I needed it to supply for me. And if I can do that based on a, 
yellow page advertisement or based on uh, word of mouth or all of those things, how much more should I be committed to God who the, the, the very book that I believe in is full of his promises of what he's going to do for me? My commitment to God is not very difficult. It really isn't. But I will say to you, it's not for the faint in heart. You have to be real men and women of God in order to follow him. You know, in the book of Luke, let me just turn to you, turn there real quick. I don't want to lose my place here. But in the book of Luke, if anyone comes, if anyone comes to me, I'm sorry, thank you, sir. 14, chapter 14, the book of Luke. That might help. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciples. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciples. Look at that. Read it, and you can, can read on. Not right now. But at another time, read on and understand, gain a better understanding of the cost of being his disciple. You say, oh, I, I, I'm not really concerned about being his disciple. I just wanted to be saved and my sins forgiven and have God do for me everything. Well, that's not how it works. I wish that it did. You know, when I came to Jesus, I thought the same thing. Well, he's going to do this. He's going to do that. Based on the, what I was hearing preached, I thought, my heavenly father, I'm going to be on a beach. And, you know, people are going to bring me whatever. And I'm going to see the waves coming in and out based on what I was. Now, this, I was a young kid. And now I'm older, and now I've grown up a little bit, and I realize that my interpretation, what I was hearing, wasn't really the way that it was. Oh, they weren't trying to trick me. Everything in the Word of God that he says he will do, he will do. It's my personal interpretation, my injecting my dreams and my visions and all of those things and thinking it's going to turn out this way and this way and this way and this way. That's where the problem came in. You see, I've gained a better understanding since I was nine years old, walking down the sidewalks of College Park, Georgia, with my grandmother, hand in hand. Every once in a while, she'd rub my little flat top head. I'm still wearing it, praise God. Maybe it's as a, me a message to her, I don't know. But rubbing my little head and I remember her saying to me, little David, little David, one of these days you're going to be something special, little David. And she would tell me about David and the Bible as we walked down the sidewalk toward church. Well, I remember at eight or nine years old, one Sunday night in that Baptist church, the preacher was preaching and little David was doing what little David does, playing, messing around, everything else. And to look at me, you'd think, well, he doesn't, he's not listening. He's not hearing anything. But come at the end of the message, 
when the preacher decides he's going to give an invitation and invite those who don't know Jesus and want him into their heart to come on down, something hit me. And it wasn't the Superman model that I was playing with. Something hit me. And I grabbed hold of the pews in front of me and tears started coming down my eyes. And I thought, what is this? I can remember it like it was just a moment ago. It had to be a moment ago in order for me to remember it. You know, getting old is not for the faint and hard either. I walked out to my truck this morning to get in to come to church. And I thought for a moment, have I got everything? And I realized I forgot my Bible. Emma tugged at my hand a few moments ago in church. She said, Daddy, I got to go to the bathroom. I thought, oh, my Lord. I take her to the bathroom, and I thought, well, while I'm out here, I might as well try to take care of business myself. I'm about to preach. I won't have the privilege of running to the bathroom, setting the mic down, and I get in there, and I realize that I wasn't fully dressed. All the zippers weren't zipped up. Getting old is not for faint of heart. It isn't. I've come into... Hey, enough of that, all right? I've come into a place in my life when before I leave the house, I, I feel like I need to check with my wife to be sure everything's all right. Do I have everything on? You know, all of those things. It's not for the faint in heart. But I'm trembling. And my grandmother looks down at me and she sees these big old tears rolling out of my eyes. And she says, little David... And she grabs my little trembling hand. She says, do you want to go down? And I'm saying, no, no. <laughs> Slinging tears and snot in all kinds of directions. And she leans over and whispers in my ear and she says, I'll go with you. You want to go down? And I remember shaking my head. And I remember going down and from that point till the next morning, I don't remember a whole lot. But I remember the next morning. I remember waking up and going outside. And I remember, honest to God, the sun being brighter. I'm about to get choked up here. The sun being brighter than I'd ever seen it before. I remember listening to the birds and the birds were singing louder than I'd ever heard them before. I remember sitting on our little sidewalk that leads up to the steps going up into the back of the house. And I remember thinking to myself, what is this? What is this? Well, do you know something? I've grown up since then. Some days the sun isn't as bright. Some days the birds aren't as loud. But I can always recall and remember that something happened to little David at eight or nine years old. You know, you, you the song talks about, can you remember the place? Can you remember the time? I can't, I know the place, 
But I can't say to you exactly how old I was, exactly the day and all of those things. And it's not important to me in my heart. I remember. And I remember as a, a kid at that age that I made a commitment to God, not knowing all of what it would entail, but knowing that I loved him. And I, I was real. And it was real what I was feeling. And he was real. And I made that commitment. And I believe it's the same thing that compelled Abraham. When God called him out. And he said, get up. I want you to leave this place. This is going to be recorded in the books of history. I want you to leave this place. I'm going to make you something. I'm going to make your name something. When they speak about you, they're going to... One of these days, on November, I think it's the 25th, I'm not sure, but whatever day it is on November, there's going to be a little guy that's overweight, that's half bald-headed. He's going to get up and he's going to preach about you. And he's going to preach to a group of people that need to hear about commitment, that need to remember who they've committed themselves to and what it's costing them, and that it's all right. Hallelujah to God. That is a good place to clap. Amen. Praise the Lord. Some places in this message will be a good place to take a note. It'll be a good place to say amen. I got up to get dressed and I looked in my closet and I've got two shirts that I love to wear with my suit. Or suits. This is one of them. And this is a good place for my wife to take a note. It's the giving season. Hallelujah. It's Christmas. It's time to buy somebody something. <laughs> well, I would, but I'm hoping my wife knows what size I wear. I, I know I'm big, but I'm still a little bit intimidated, embarrassed by it. Praise God. It's not as bad as it seems, though. Amen? I envision going to the doctor and telling the doctor, Doc, he comes in, he says, What's ailing you, son? Oh, Doc, I've got a real problem. I'm having the worst trouble in my life tying my shoes. It's so difficult for me to bend over and tie my shoes. Something's wrong, Doc. Something's wrong. He says, take your shirt off, son. I'm going to examine you. Yeah, I did. I tried to say no. Y'all won't hear it. This is, this is it. You know what you're going to get when I get up here. I took my shirt off. And this is not in reality. I'm just, all right. He looks me over and he says, look, son, this is it. I said, where? where? Look, son. Oh, doc, what is it? Oh, my, yes. Oh, my, doc. Is it a tumor? Is it cancerous? What's going on, dog? <laughs> How long do I have? He said, that there is turkey and dressing. And it's too much of it. And there's a cure for that. 
It's not as bad, son, as when you came in here. It's going to be all right. Hallelujah to God. And it's not as bad. I don't know where you're at or what's going on in your life. When you came in here, it may have been real heavy. But if, if, if God is here and God is in this message, when you leave, it ought to be lighter. Abraham makes the commitment, pulls up stakes, ready to give, makes a commitment to God without knowing, without seeing. He doesn't know what he's going to get himself into. He doesn't know what awaits him. That's what commitment is all about. In society... We see commitment and the like thereof. We can see it engaged in, in regards to marriage. There are more people moving in with each other than there ever has been in the history of humanity. And it's not just based on because there's more people. It is based on people's beliefs. The lack of commitment. There was a day of almost 20 years ago now that I made a commitment to a woman, her name being Connie, and I made a commitment to her and for all of these years, for the good, for the bad, there's been a lot of good and there's been some bad. There's been times when I scratched my head and thought, dear God, why did I say yes? And I'm sure in her life there's been times when she said the same. I don't really understand that, but I'm sure that there has been. And when I think of her and when I think of commitment, you know, as a kid growing up, and I, I have a weird way of looking at things. I do understand that, and I'm, I kind of analyze things and try to break it down. And, but as a kid growing up, I had heroes. Most of them were birthed out of television or comic books or things like that and one of my greatest heroes and even today he is my hero was Tarzan and I just you know I, I just loved watching him and I loved it when Tarzan would swoop in and grab Jane and wrap his arm around her and they would grab hold of the vine and they're swinging through the jungle and I envision and see myself as Miss Connie's Tarzan. I do. Oh, here I come, honey. Here I come. I'm driving home late at night and coming home, and I just want to beat my chest as best I can. You know, sometimes we're sitting watching television. I'm, I'm sitting there, and Erica and Miss Connie, and that's exactly how it is. I'm sitting here, Erica's here, and Miss Connie's over here, and we're watching a television program, and this guy comes on. Everything's quiet, and we're just listening to every word. And I hear Erica go, hmm. And I look at her, and she looks back at me, and she knows what kind of guy I wanted to get involved with. And she says, hmm, kind of like you do over a pie or something. Hmm. 
And I look at her and I say, Erica. She says, what, Daddy? I said, him? And to beat everything I've ever seen in my life. Me being the Tarzan sitting there. I am her Tarzan. She'll say, me too. Mmm. You got to be kidding me. What is it? And Erica, have you seen his six pack? I'm stealing somebody else's material right now. But I'm thinking to myself, I got her six pack. It's on the inside. It's not on the outside. I got your six pack. It's surrounding the heart that loves you. The heart that goes to work for you every day. The heart that puts up with your stuff and you put up with mine. We know about dedication. We know about commitment. She's failed me. But so has God in my mind. In my humanistic way of looking at it and breaking it down. God, why didn't you? You ever said that? Why couldn't you have? Why, why, God? Why? Why? But I understand commitment. I understand God. His ways are far beyond my ways. And there are some days, Pastor Hank, when it's all that I can do and all the resolve that I can get within me to go to the Scripture and know and know that He has a plan. And it's not to destroy me. It's to build me up. It's good things. It's not bad things. Why? Because he loves me. Abraham starts out with a little, winds up with even more. If you'll turn to the book of Judges. The seventh chapter. Again, I'm not going to read very much here, but it's a, I'm telling you that both these chapters... Both these books are full of great stuff. Amen. Amen. This is about Gideon. And this is about having plenty and seeing it go somewhere. Our commitment being tested. At this point, Gideon's already had his argument with God. Oh, me? Me? You call me a great warrior? Me? I'm the least of my clan, and my clan is the least of all the clans. I'm the least. I'm not the greatest. I'm not a great warrior. You mighty warrior. You've got to be kidding me. But somewhere, you, you hear this, and you see this argument. But I will say to you, at some point in Gideon's life, in some points in Gideon's life, that it was very clear that he was out from the crowd. That there was something about this man Gideon. And there's something about you. I said to the ladies this past week in class, I mentioned to them about dedication, and that's actually where this was birthed from. When I talked with them about dedication and I left that day, I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. But I said to them, look, there's a reason God brought you here. Look, you're not all of 
the low down, no good, everything else that you think you are, that other people might think of you. There's something about you that God has seen and that has perked his interest and he's noticed you and he's pulled you out. Folks, they come out of a jail full of people. They come out of a dark room full of people. They come out of a lifestyle full of people. Why them and not all of them? And I said to them, if you're able to be so dedicated to a lifestyle that it steals from you, it destroys you, you wind up at the end without a house, without a car, without license, without money. You wind up being raped and beaten and all of those things and you're still willing to serve that lifestyle. That is dedication. I know it's unhealthy. But it's dedication. And I said to the ladies, if you will turn that around, if you'll take that characteristic that's in your makeup and you'll turn it around and you will dedicate yourself to God in that same manner, oh, what you can do. Praise the name of God. Just as dedicated as you ladies were from living in that lifestyle, from even separating yourself from your children that I know that you love so much, when you turn it around, you will be bonded to them and dedicated to them and be with them and serve them and take care of them just in the manner and in the same way that we were willing and able to abandon them. Why? Because it's in our DNA. We know how to give ourselves to something. But we only give ourselves to it if we deem it valuable enough to give us something back. Amen? Gideon. Starting out, there were 32,000. Now, going against what he was going against, even 32,000 looked like just a little crumb compared to a loaf. But it was better than what's about to happen. And there were a time in your life and in mine when our dedication, we looked at what we had and we thought, well, it's not as much as I would like, but I think I can get by on this. And little did we know it was going to be chopped here and chopped there and chopped around and put in a place that God wanted it to be. Folks, God is out to be glorified. God is out to be exalted. He wants the whole world to know who he is and what he can do. He wants the whole world to see a group of people, men and women, who are so bonded to him, who are so dedicated, who have made a commitment to him that they will follow him even unto death. Amen. That's a good place for amen. Praise the Lord. Speaking of the ladies... As it was a moment ago, and all of their condemnation, all of their junk, all of the things bless their hearts that they have to work through. And, and, you know, we're preaching to them about God and telling them about Jesus and how much God loves them. And let me say, you did a great job leading worship. Praise the Lord. They were rocking and rolling. And then they were worshiping a great job this morning. Amen. Give them a hand. Praise the Lord. But they bring all of their stuff and thinking on the terms of I'm going to commit to something that will give me something back. 
I'm going to commit to something that I can get rid of some of this condemnation, some of this guilt, some of this shame, all of these things. Tell me who he is. Tell me about him. Because when I come near him, I want to draw back. He's God. He's holy. He's all of these things. And look at me. Look at I don't have anything to offer him, Pastor David. You don't know the life I've lived and what I've done. How could I possibly? He doesn't want me to commit to him. He doesn't want to be married to me. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. He's down on one knee saying, will you? Will you marry me? That's him. His name's Jesus. There he is. I don't understand it either. But the one thing that I do know about him and about who he is and what he does and how he operates and how he functions is found in Psalms chapter 130. And it says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Anybody ever been there? Oh, praise. I don't have to remember back too far to remember finding myself seemingly in the depths of my own despair and discouragement and depression and trying to hold on by a thread. I remember. And out of the depths I cried. And I, I'm beating myself up, Pastor Rhonda, thinking, oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. This bad decision, that bad decision. Oh, how could they? Look at where we are now. Look at what's going on now. Look at what it's going to cost us now. And I'm beating myself up over all of these things. And in chapter 130 of the book of Psalms, out of the depths I cried to the Lord, to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Listen to this. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But you, but with you there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. He doesn't keep a record. He doesn't keep a record. I'm not trying to give you a license to go out and sin. I'm not trying to give you the permission to do anything that you want to and live any lifestyle that you want to. What I'm trying to say to you is he doesn't keep a record. Praise God. Praise God. These ladies, they're struggling. Some days are better than others. You know, that's why I fit in with them so well. Some of y'all, y'all expect me not to struggle. You expect me always to be up there. Well, you're a pastor. How in the world can you be depressed? You're a pastor. <laughs> and I think, oh, well, silly me. How could I possibly shake myself and come to reality? How you're, you're a pastor. You don't get depressed. Oh, okay. I, sorry. <laughs> I got mixed up there for a moment. <laughs> I can go over there and dragging in and doing the best I can and holding the rail as I'm making my way up the steps, doing everything that I can, and I sit down, and they might ask me, well, how are you today, Pastor? With everything within me, I try to say, well, I'm blessed, and they know that they know where I'm at. I'll even talk to them about where I'm at and what I'm struggling with, and they know that I'm real, and they still love me. And I know that you know that I'm real and you still love me. 
Some days are better than others. Some days I have to remember that he doesn't keep a record. Praise God. Praise God. It's not that he's incapable of remembering. It's that he consciously and from out of his love, the love that we sang about this morning, out of his love, he chooses to forget. Never to remember. Here's Gideon. Going in, he's got 32,000, and God says, too many. Too many? You seen the army that I'm faced with? Have you seen my finances? Have you seen the church's finances, Lord? Has it come time, oh God, that we worship you by candlelight and they're going to turn the power off? Have you seen our finances? Too many. Too much. I want to show to you that I am a God who can take little and make it much. I will get it done. Amen. I have full confidence in you this morning. And this group of people this morning, the group of people that God has chosen to preach to you about commitment, I have full confidence that next week, tomorrow, that bill will be paid. And if you haven't paid, if I haven't paid exactly what we should have paid, then God prick us in the heart and help us to remember our commitment to you and your commitment to us, and we'll come out of pocket even more. And we'll do it with gladness. Amen? We'll do it with gladness. God didn't send his son, Jesus, and then say, oh man, the dirty, low-down, stinking, no-good group of human beings. Now I got to give up my son. Amen, he should have. Jesus, we've broken his heart a zillion, billion times over since then, he should have. He didn't do, he said, I love the world, the people so much that I will send. Without reservation, without thought, I will send and give so that they might be saved. And I want you this morning to remember your commitment to God so that whatever he asks you to do, you will do it. I don't want you to give one penny more. I don't want you to give more of yourself than exactly what the Spirit speaks to you to give. Amen? This week, I believe it was this week, it's the last few days, Connie saw a lady and her daughter on the corner. Oh, hush, Connie, and you need to get ready to sing here, so you better listen to the Spirit. She saw a lady on the corner, and evidently her daughter, and she pulled over, and you could see that they were needing something. She may have even had a sign up. I didn't get that much detail because when she told me that she picked him up and took him into the grocery store, I went into a coma. <laughs> so I, I can't remember <laughs> much of anything else. And she said, I bought him groceries. And as she was telling me this, as we were sitting there together, she started crying. And she said, I took him to the where they were staying and the man was inside keeping the little baby and we unloaded the groceries and I know folks I know that there are con artists that that they collect more on the sides of the road than pastor and I together making a year 
I know those things, but I also know that I refuse to close up my bowels of compassion just because there's a sprinkling of bad. I'm still going to serve God. Praise his name. Why? Because I have made a commitment. And he said to me, if you give, if you take care of the widow, if you take care of the poor, if you give, you will be called one of mine. You will be like me. I'm, I'm looking to mirror the very image of his son, Jesus. When I look into the mirror, I want to see less of David, Pastor David, or whatever, this old whatever, and I want to see more of him. And this is the mirror. This is the mirror, folks. This is what I'm looking through. And I want to see more of him and less of me. I want to mirror who he is. And in order for me to do that, sometimes I'd simply have to take a chance. Sometimes the Holy Spirit uncross your legs, sit up a little bit for Pete's sake, you're fixing to hold me. Sometimes the Holy Spirit doesn't sit in my lap and say, how about giving this much? It's not that plain. Sometimes it is, praise the Lord. And sometimes I simply have to see and know the need and my bowels of compassion start moving. Praise the Lord. We need a spiritual colon cleansing this morning. Amen. We need to just be cleaned out, praise God. And, and I just want to, I'm compassionate and I simply give. You don't punch me in the side and say, hey, pastor, did the Holy Spirit say to give that? Well, I, I don't know. I didn't hear that voice. But I just know there's a need and I just want to meet it because I made a commitment to him and he's committed to me. And if I give, I know that he'll give. And if I come through, I know that he'll come through. Praise God. I started in this with a little more than I've got now. Gideon started in with 32. He wound up with 300. I started in with a little more than I have now. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I was better off a few years ago. There was a time in my life financially when I could go where I wanted to go or do whatever I wanted to do and everything was cool and wonderful and fine. And now I find myself pinching this, denying myself that, doing without. Does that mean God's against me? No, no, no. God wasn't against Gideon. Even though he started with 32,000 and it seemed like a, an all right number, I would, have, I would have personally wanted much more. If I'm going to fight a battle and there's a million of them, I'd like to have two million of me. You know, God, I, I'm going to serve you, but uh, there's a million of them. I need at least two million of me. Are you kidding me? Who's doing this? Who's in this warfare? You or me? Him or me? God or me? You or God? We're still trying to do it. We're still trying to do it. If you and me are here, and we're left with 300, what would your decision on commitment be? This morning, with your struggle with wavering, should I? Can I? And folks, we all, all of us go through it. I cannot tell you the last two or three years how many times I've said to God, that's it. I'm zipping it up, putting it in the trunk, and that is it. 
I'm not going to go out and be a herky-jerky sinner, but bless God, I'm just not, I'm not going to do it the way, uh-uh, that's it, that's it. I've been disappointed for the last time. You didn't come through the way that I thought you ought to come through for the last time. I haven't done that with my wife. I haven't marched in and said, honey, that's it. I've put up with it long enough. I'm through. I'm done. I'm zipping my stuff up and out the door I'm going. And if I don't do it with her, I'm not going to do it when my heavenly father prays his name. Because I will assure you this morning, God can do much more. My father can do much more for me than, God, than Connie ever could. Even though I've got just two shirts that I really like to wear with my suit. <laughs> that somebody should be taking note of, but whatever, you know. I, he can do more with less. Hear me say that. I don't know where you're at in your family. I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know where you're at in your business or your workplace or whatever's going on. You may be getting real nervous because things are slowing down. Every once in a while, I'll hear someone at work call me up and just want to talk. and It'll finally wind down and come around to the real reason they called. Well, you know, it's getting real slow at work here, and they've laid off this one and that one and the other one, and I just don't know. I'm real concerned. I'm real worried. And I'll just quickly say to them, what kind of person have you been? What kind of attitude have you taken? Are you still willing to show up and do and be and, and be the kind of person you should be? Are you still full of kindness and love? Are you still willing to give? Do you show up on time? Do you make up lies in order to lay out? What kind of person are you? And if all of those things check out, I say, you don't got nothing to worry about. Don't worry about it. You've gained favor. There is one that has gone before you and you've gained favor. As much as I despise the fact that Josh is working where he's working and doing what he's doing, Josh is not a mechanic, folks. He's never been to mechanic school, doesn't have any certification in anything he's worked on some things done a few things and there's been there's some real mechanics up there gone to school and all of these things but Josh has a spirit about him it's the spirit of Christ and he has seen men who got certificates who have been certified in all of these things and they've been fired and let go because of their attitude, because of their approach, because they think they're the center of the universe and not God. And Josh knows he's not the center of the universe. God still is. And guess what? He's seen them go and he's seen them come. And for some reason, even unbeknowings to those that are around him, why are you still here? Why am I getting fired and not? You don't even know anything. You don't got no certification. Why are you still here? And Josh just looks at him and shrugs his shoulder and says, I don't know. I don't know. It's probably not the appropriate time to sit down with him and say, well, it's because of your stinking attitude. It's because you're the center of the universe and not God. It's because of my walk with God and not yours. I'm not sure that that's the appropriate time to do that. I don't know. 
You know, they've already been fired. Killing somebody is not going to make them more fired than they already are. <laughs> Ain't no sense in stirring up more devils than you and I can handle and cast out. We might as well just let it go. Gideon started out with a number, and it was greatly reduced. Less than 10% of what he started out with was what God was going to use. And God is so wonderful and so marvelous and so perfect that he said, Gideon, to prove to you the fact that this is going to happen, I want you to sneak down and listen. And folks, this morning, I want you to just, if you need to close your eyes, whatever it is, I want you to sneak down in your spirit and listen. God has a plan. Your enemy is talking about you. They're saying amongst each other, those spirits of darkness, oh my Lord, they're, they're hearing about commitment. They're going to they're recommit. They're going to start all over again. They're going to believe in this that he doesn't keep a list. They're going to believe in this and they're going to put it all behind them and they're going to recommit. They're going to say, yes, you can. Yes, you can. I believe once again, yes, you can. Can you hear the enemy? They're afraid of you. They're afraid of you. They're saying, oh, Jehovah God has given them the land. Oh, that bill, that power bill is going to be paid. Oh, they'll have food in their pantry. Oh, why? Because he's never forsaken. David said, I've not seen and if I were to be able to record his voice from heaven now, he would say, I still haven't seen. His seed forsaken and his children out begging bread. I haven't seen it. Needless to say, a great, a great battle was won. Because one man chose to hold fast to his commitment in spite of the fact that everything around him was falling apart. You ever, have you been, are you in the place now that you can look back and say, I came in with 32,000 and here I am now with 300. Now what are we going to do? I guarantee you one thing, if you're a pastor of a church, you've been there. I guarantee you one thing, if you're the father of a family and a wife of a family, a mother of a family, if you're the husband of a wife and a wife of a husband, if, if you can feel your pulse, if you can know your heart beating, you've been there. I came in with 32,000 and now look, for no reason, for reasons unbeknowings to me, I don't know what happened. But I'm stuck with 300. What am I? But if I only had my 32,000, we're so busy looking back. We're so busy looking back at the 32,000 that we cannot see what God is about to do with the 300. Oh, folks, look beyond. Look, I want you to stop taking the, the attitude and the approach of the servant. The servant said, oh, oh. woohoo, woohoo. Come here. Oh, prophet of God, come here. I want you to see this. Look at the enemy. We're surrounded. While you've been in there praying, 
meditating, seeking God, they have snuck up on us and surrounded them. And the prophet of God rises up within the midst of all of that and he says, oh God, open his eyes. And my prayer for you this morning is, oh God, open their eyes. I know that you see that you're surrounded by physical enemies. I know that you can see your bank account. I know that you can see the condition of your family. I know that you can see these things and you wonder how, how, look at them. But I want you to be able to see what's behind them. I want you to be able to see that there's a host of angels behind them carrying swords ready to defeat the enemy. Today is the day. How do I know? Because it's the day that some of you, and my hopes are all of you, will shake yourself, wake yourself, and realize that, hey, I made a commitment. And if I'm nothing else... I'm a woman of my commitment. I'm a man of my commitment. You know, I'm not sure that I completely and fully believe what Pastor David is preaching, but the one thing that I do know, I don't want to go out and, and the preacher stand over me and say, well, she held on to her commitment almost to the end, but gave it up. Bless her heart. Not that many pastors would be willing to say something like that. But in some lives, it's true. In some lives, do you know that people today are contemplating and they have already made the decision, I won't go back. I will not go back. You know, if I have marriage troubles, if Connie and I were having trouble in our marriage, I'm not going to go to somebody. And this is not a knock. I've been divorced. This is not a knock on somebody, but I'm not going to go to somebody that's been divorced five or six, seven times. There are some places in life that practice does not make perfect. You know, and I'm just sorry, it just is. I'm practicing this marriage thing. If I could combine all seven of my wives, Elizabeth Taylor would say about her husband, I'd have the perfect person to marry. Well, sorry. You know, there's some places that it simply doesn't make, but I wouldn't go to somebody like that. I would want to go to somebody who understands commitment because marriage requires commitment. If you've recently been married, understand this, marriage requires commitment. Stay with that girl. Love her. You know, the flames of passion and all of those things are going to die down. Well, I'm, well, I'm going to hang with Pastor this week because mine sometimes dies down. But my commitment never dies down to my wife. It just doesn't. I refuse for I am not going to go out of this world and somebody stand over me and say, well, he was a lot of things, but he wasn't a man of commitment. I'm not going to do it. Especially when I found something, the source of Jesus, the source of my heavenly father, who is everything that he says he is and can do everything that he says he can do and is doing it. He will take my 300 when I had 32,000. He will take it and I will wind up the better for it. Praise the Lord. You're going to look at my life and you're going to say, man, I don't know how this happened. But look at what God has done for Pastor David. He didn't look. He even talked out of the pulpit 
how sometimes he was discouraged and all of these things. How in the world would God respond to a man like that? I don't know. He just has. I just remembered his word. I, I shook myself and I got up. Praise God. I want the spirit of Timothy to reside in me. When Paul spoke over him and said, stir up the gifts of God that are in you by way of remembrance. I know your mother and your grandmother and I know the faith that resided in them and I know that it's in you, Timothy. Stir it up. I want to shake you this morning and I want to ask you to stir it up. Stir it up. Let the gifts of God start working in your life. Stir it up. I don't care about your age. I don't care about your condition. I don't care about the surroundings, any of those things, your circumstances. Stir it up and watch God move. In the book of Acts, very quickly and in closing, while you're turning there, let me just finish my thought about marriage, about counseling, about examples, about those things. You know, there are certain groups of people that I will sit out of courtesy and maybe try to listen to them, see if maybe they're willing to change, that sort of thing. But when it comes to commitment, when it comes to following somebody, when it comes to listening to their example and their experiences, there's certain groups of people that I'm really not going to put a whole lot of trust and faith in. And one of them is a group of people that jumps from church to church to church to church. And I know that I'm stepping on some toes and probably I need to shut my mouth, but I'm talking about you real stuff this morning. I'm not going to really put a lot of investment in what they say and the tales that they drag around and bear. I'm not going to do that. I'm a man of commitment. And when I say to you, I'll be there, I'm going to be there. Right or wrong, whether I'm wrong or right, whether you're wrong or right, I'm going to be there. Why? Because I have chosen in myself not to keep a list. My heavenly Father, if I'm going to be like God, I have to do the things that God does. And if God says, I don't keep a list, then guess what? I'm not keeping a list. I want to be the man that when you walk up to him, to me, and say, Pastor, you remember I told you that I'm, I don't remember. I am so glad. That's one of the benefits of getting older has provided for me. And I believe it's the will of God in my life. So when you ladies over here get your feelings hurt because I can't remember your name, it's part of the gifts of God that flow and move in me. If I can't remember your name, I surely can't remember your sins. I don't keep a list, whether it be of names or sins. Praise God. And I, have, I make a conscious decision not to. You want to be his disciples? And all we, oh Jesus, let me follow you, let me follow you, let me follow you. Let me be, let me be, let me be. He says, if you're my disciples, if you love me, do this. Keep my commandments. 
Our Heavenly Father says to us, Oh, how is it, people of the harvest, that you say you're so much in love with me and you sing your hymns and your choruses of love to me? How is it that you say you love me when you don't even love the person sitting next to you? Love chooses not to keep a list. Love chooses to walk with a... There is no greater friend than that friend that will walk with me even when I am wrong. Not condoning my wrong, but being with me in support of me as I walk out of this thing. Do you know something that each one of us, we got things in our life we got to walk out of? And by God in Jesus' name, and I guess I shouldn't have said it that way, sorry. It is so much easier to walk out of things and out of darkness when you got a friend holding your hand saying, I think I've been this way before. Would you walk with me? I think I know the way out of here. Will you walk with me? It gives me such confidence to come out of that sin that's in my life, to come out of what it, that dark place that's in my life. If somebody will just grab my hand and say, would you walk with me? I'm your friend. Will you walk with me? I've been this way before. Will you walk with me? There's no more desperate place for one of the ladies at the Women of Hope to be than to be in the place that she might sit with me and say, well, Pastor, I've done this, but I've never done what so-and-so did. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Oh, my Lord. First of all, it's the spirit of the matter, but that's a totally another subject. And secondly, if I give you enough time, <laughs> I will promise you, with your dedication and ability to commit, you'll be there. And I'm asking you to turn that around and turn it toward God and use it for a tool that will build you up and stop tearing you down. There is no one worse. And I, I know these ladies, and I know myself, and I've had people, pastor in my life, that would come around and say, oh, and they would even scoff and laugh at me. Oh, my goodness, he was going to build this. And he didn't take account of the money it was going to cost him. Now we've got a house without windows, no flooring, no fixtures. It's just, it's just a frame, and he's run out of money. And well, they should laugh because I didn't take account of what it was going to cost me in order to follow him. And guess what? One of the things, just one of the things it's going to cost you and I is that we're going to have to simply burn our list this morning. I wish that we could have a way of just burning our list and stop keeping a list, throwing, breaking our pencils, all of those things, and stop it, stop it, stop. We love one another. Remember that? I thought I was your friend. Do you remember that? Wow, that's good preaching. I don't care what. Thank you, Pastor. And in spite of the fact that you and I won't listen to sound doctrine, in the uh, book of Acts, chapter 27, there is a cruise that's about to take place, and it's not the cruise to the Bahamas. And they were told, these seaworthy men who knew all this, that, and the other thing, they were told, you ought not to go, boys. I'm telling you, let's not go. Oh, who, what do you know? Uh, what's your name? For, 
Paul, my name's Paul. What? You're not a sailor. You don't know about, we know about the sea. We know about life. We know about our present situation. You don't know about it, Pastor David. You, now I know, I don't. I don't know the ins and outs. I don't know what's in your bank account. I don't know what's going on, but I'm saying to you, you ought not to sail. And in spite of that, you've chosen, listen, folks, there have been great sermons come from this pulpit. And I'm sure that the pastors of this church would scratch their head and say, aren't they listening? Aren't they hearing? Don't they hear us? Because we preach one thing and they seem to do the opposite. What's going on? Well, guess what? In spite of that, in spite of not listening, and I'm not encouraging you to not listen, because it's going to cost you more than you want to pay. But I'm saying to you, no matter where you're at, you may find yourself and say, oh, woulda, coulda, shoulda, if I just would have listened. Well, guess what? That's not the end of the matter. It hasn't said on your book the end yet. We've still got hope. Because in spite of the fact that they didn't listen, no matter where their journey took them, no matter what kind of place they found them in, in verse, well, I need my glasses, but hold on, it's coming. <laughs> verse 20 when neither sun nor stars appeared and this is chapter 27 I tried to finish at 12 but I promise I'm finishing when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging we finally gave up all hope of being saved that's where they were in their spirits and their minds that's what, that's what was going on and that may be where you and I have gotten, our pl uh, gotten to the place. Gotten to that place. What have you say it? If anybody can say it better, please, here. And we've gotten to that place. And we've abandoned all hope. We're not going to be saved. There's no way out of this. There is absolutely no way out of this. This is going to cost me more than I want to pay. And it might. It simply might. But guess what? If it costs you more than you want to pay, more than you can pay, I serve a God who can balance it. I serve a God who can make it all right. I serve a God who has a bank account that's not run out. Oh, praise God. Amen, brother. So we're going through the storm day after day after day of not seeing the sun, not seeing the stars. We're there. We've given up hope. Suddenly, it's just light enough that we can spot something. We can see a sandy shore. And we decide, okay, what are we going to do? Should we try and control ourselves in the midst of this storm? Is giving ourselves to the storm really like giving ourselves to God? Is surrendering my own personal control really meaningful? Does it mean, is, is he capable of doing what he says that he will do? And somebody rises up within the midst of us and says, Brothers and sisters, I've heard from God. And this morning I am that somebody. Oh, don't, don't liken me to Paul. But I am somebody and I will say to you, I've heard from God. In my life and in yours, it may cost us 
more than we've wanted to pay, but he's able to balance it. He's able to make it all right. And the one thing that I can guarantee you is if you're willing to cut loose the anchors that hold you into this horrible storm of your life, if you're willing to cut the ropes that guide the rudder of control and direction, if you're willing to do that and give yourself to the storm, but not really to the storm, give yourself to God and turn over all control and say, it's yours and it's not mine. Will you do this for me? Our lives will be saved. We will not lose one of you. Your life will be saved. And guess what? Just as he did for Abraham, just as he did for Gideon, just as he will do for Paul, he will sustain you. He will build back up. He did it for Job. It's, it's account after account after account after account. Men and women who have gotten down to the bottom and even the basement of the bottom. And God started building. Why? Because they cut the rudder bands. They dropped, they cut loose the anchors, and they said, you take it. You take it. It's like the song, Jesus, take the wheel. Amen? I've done drove, driven where I shouldn't have been driving. I'm spinning out of control. I've hit this sheet of ice, and my baby's in the back seat. Oh, Jesus, take the wheel. Are you there this morning? I would sing it to you, but you don't have the money to pay for that. <laughs> are you there this morning are you willing to say Jesus take the wheel Connie would you please come I want you to think about this little simple word called commitment it's not the biggest word in the English, English language letter for letter but it might be the most important are you there where you're willing to say Jesus take the wheel are you at the place this morning when you're just so tired of the storm and you want to cut loose and you're, you're, you've got the knife in your hand and you're thinking, should I cut this rope? Should I commit myself to the storm? No. Should you commit yourself to God and the God of the storm? Yes. There's a way out of this. Hasn't it cost you more than you've been willing to pay? Than you've been willing to pay. There's only one solution for your family. There's only one cure for your son, for your daughter who's rebellious and who's out there there's only one there's only one help for your sickness for your disease there's only one who's willing to control and help your bank account and his name is Jesus oh his name is Jesus Connie, if you'd sing, please. Just let the Spirit minister.
Come on, huh? 